For the sermon, I'm going to ask you to just begin. Uh, have you ever done any DIYs, right? Do-it-yourselves? Have you ever done any? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we've all dabbled in some sort of do-it-yourself before. Now, I've got to admit, I've found them more frustrating than enjoyable. Um, it just I think it's because I don't like sitting through a 20-minute video going over step-by-step what I should do. Now, maybe that's how you feel about my sermons. Don't say that if that's how you feel. Uh, regardless, do-it-yourselves, maybe I don't like them because of this. Maybe you can relate to this. Uh, I kind of wish I could just have information downloaded into my brain, you know? Instead of having to sit through a video going step-by-step, not to mention, if you have to sit through a video going step-by-step, is it really a do-it-yourself, right? I mean, I think all the men in here could probably identify with that. We just want to do it, you know? We don't want to have to watch a video on it. We don't have to read instructions. And I guess Eddie and I, we kind of had a do-it-yourself, a do-it-yourself leveling here. So if the sign doesn't seem level, I'll blame it on Eddie. Um, We'll just leave it at that. We didn't watch a do-it-yourself. We did that ourselves uh, instead of watching a video. Regardless, I don't know how you feel about those videos. I sometimes don't like them, but the reality is sometimes directions are helpful. Sometimes we need a step-by-step for whatever we might be doing. But here's the thing. Our spiritual birth is most certainly not a do-it-yourself. Right? It is the furthest thing from a do-it-yourself because we need God. Now, if there's one parallel between like natural birth and spiritual birth, it is that we don't bring them about on our own means. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting into in John chapter 3. So to go with me, John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So remember, who are Pharisees? Pharisees, they were, you know, sticklers for following the law. Now, Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jews. In other words, he is like a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, all you need to know is a ruling council of Jews, and they would rule over different areas as far as governing the religious practices of certain areas. That is who Nicodemus is. He has quite a bit of power. Verse 2 says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He came by night. All right, that tells us one thing. He probably didn't want to have attention drawn to him while he was going to visit Jesus. After all, Jesus is a preacher that the Pharisees don't really like, right? So he probably doesn't want attention. He probably doesn't want his buddies in the Sanhedrin to know he's going to visit Jesus. Jesus, interestingly, he says, Rabbi. He calls Jesus rabbi, so at first it seems like he's going in the right direction, right? It seems like Nicodemus might be getting it. And in fact, he says that, well, we believe that you're a teacher come from God. We believe that God is with you. But he stops a bit short, doesn't he? He says that God is merely with Jesus. Meaning he probably views Jesus just like the prophets Elijah and Elisha. You know, they just were men who happened to have God with them, but Jesus is much more, as we know, right? At the beginning of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, what did it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nicodemus doesn't see it. He thinks Jesus is just the man who just happens to have God with him. Move on to verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now remember, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. So Nicodemus, he's no fool when it comes to things regarding Scripture. Now Nicodemus, he probably thinks he's already a member of that kingdom of God, right? After all, he is an Israelite. How is he not a member of the kingdom of God? How can he not see the kingdom of God if he's already a member? Or is he really a member? Right, here's the thing. Someone can be religious. Someone can know all there is to know about what's in here. Somebody could literally know every single verse that is in Scripture, but if they are not born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Which, this was already kind of touched on in John. If you go back to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, we see at the very beginning, being born again has already been tied to being in the light. And obviously, we need light in order to see. So John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, that says again, the true light, that is Jesus, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become or be born children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, if you are not born again, you are in darkness. You can't see. It's already been touched on in John chapter 1, but Nicodemus doesn't get this. Move on to John 3 verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously, he's kind of getting the idea there. Obviously, it can't be birth, right? We can't just go into the womb again. He knows that. Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here, Jesus, he's starting to reveal how one may be born again. Now, in this text, when he says water, some think it refers to baptism. However, you got to remember, Jesus didn't have what we have, all right? He didn't have this New Testament, so he's probably referring all the way back to Ezekiel. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 28. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus, here in John chapter 3, he's likely referring all the way back to this passage. After all, we can kind of see the two parallels here. Here, being born of water and being born of the Spirit. When he says being born of water, he's referring to cleansing, right? So we have this sense that there's something being prophesied that eventually God is going to cleanse us and to put his Spirit inside of us so that we can have a new heart, right? And so Nicodemus, he might understand that Jesus is referring to this, but he doesn't get it. 
Nicodemus doesn't think, probably doesn't think of Ezekiel chapter 36 as a prophecy that will later be fulfilled through Jesus. But Jesus does. It's through him that we can be cleansed and that we can be born again. In other words, have this spirit come in us and change our hearts. Now, key words here. God is the one who cleanses us, and God is the one who changes us. God is the one who gives us this spirit to change our hearts. It's not by our own means. We do not change ourselves. Right? Continue on. We're going to see this in John chapter 3. Continue on in verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now here, essentially what he's saying here, if you are just born the first time, if you just experience your natural birth, then you have just experienced that, right? You were confined to the flesh. You will live your life confined to the flesh. You are going to be a slave to sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that when we are born, we inherit sins. That's not what I'm saying, because Ezekiel 18, 20, right? The son shall not suffer or bear the iniquity of the father, and the father the sons, right? So there's no sense in which we bear the sin of the father. We're not born sinful, okay? But what I am saying is that by nature of being born in the flesh, we are on an inevitable track to become slaves to sin, right? So if we go our whole life and have only experienced our first birth, we are slaves to sin. We are confined to the flesh, on the other hand, if we are born again, if we are born of the Spirit, we are spirit, right? We are of the Spirit. That might sound redundant, but there's a very good reason the text says it this way. You cannot be born again. You cannot have true life. You cannot have eternal life unless you are born of the Spirit. Now, as we know, in our society, there are a whole lot of people who think they are spiritual. A whole lot of people. But here's the thing. You are not truly spiritual unless you are born Again, if you've only experienced your first birth, you are of the flesh. And Jesus continues on in 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8 say this, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, I love this text here. It sounds a little mysterious. That's intentional. There is some mystery to it, but essentially Jesus, he's comparing the Spirit to wind, which isn't too hard to imagine because the same word for spirit is also the same word we translate as wind. So what is he doing here? What is he uh, comparing here? How is the wind like the spirit? First, the first thing that we see is that the spirit has a will. Hence, the wind blows where it wishes. That word for wish is the same word for will. The spirit has a will. Church, we do not control the spirit. The spirit has a will too. We can hear the wind, right? We can see effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind. Like the wind, we can hear the Spirit, we can see the effects of the Spirit, but we don't see the Spirit. Three, we don't really know where the Spirit is going or where the Spirit comes from. Just like the wind, we can't fully comprehend where the wind is going or where the wind is coming from, right? Have you ever tried to <laughs> live by the, the meteorologists and their predictions? They're pretty awful, okay? They have no idea what they're saying, I think, most of the time. It's always so inaccurate. But like the Spirit, we can't know exactly to where it goes or to where it has come. Right? We don't control the Spirit. 
The Spirit has a will. It goes to where it wishes to go, and it comes from where it comes. We do not control the Spirit. So when we say we are born of the Spirit, one thing you've got to really get, we do not control the Spirit. The Spirit guides us, and we follow. The Spirit has a will, and we cannot control it. Move on to verses 9 and 10. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus doesn't get it. Now, this is not because he hasn't been told what's going to happen, right? We read Ezekiel chapter 36, this prophecy of us being cleansed and us receiving the Spirit has been prophesied hundreds of years in advance, and so it's not that he hasn't read it. It's not that he hasn't read the Scripture that tells us of this. He just doesn't get it. I think that's why Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand? This has been the plan. This has been the plan all along. And of course, Jesus knows a lot more than Nicodemus realizes. Take a look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's we? Kind of seems weird the way Jesus phrases this. He says, we speak of what we know. Who's we? It's a weird way to talk. After all, he's there alone with Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus. Imagine if somebody did that to you, right? If you were just having a one-on-one conversation and you're like telling them, hey, yeah, yeah, we um, speak of what we know. Who's we? You're just a person here. When he says we, I think he's referring to himself, the Father, and the Spirit. After all, consider John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we're going to skip ahead a bit. John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show them, so that you uh, may marvel. I think Jesus says, we, because he's referring to himself, the Father, and the Spirit. After all, who descended on Jesus at baptism? The Spirit. You see, the the sons, the fathers, and the Spirit's will, they do not contradict each other. right? They are aligned. So Jesus, I think he's referring to himself, the Father, and the Spirit. Move on to verse 12 in John chapter 3. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The first time I ever read that verse, I was so frustrated. Because after all, all he just said in this text sounds quite otherworldly. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean if I speak of earthly things? Are you talking about being born again? Are you talking about this, the Spirit coming into our, our lives and changing us? How is this earthly? Here's the thing. Here's what I think he's getting at. This new birth by the Spirit, this change we may experience that comes from the Spirit is now. The Spirit changing our heart, changing our lives is not some distant future. Jesus is saying, no, this is happening now. This is not some distant promise that you've got to wait for. No, this is now. That's what he's telling to Nicodemus. This birth I am talking about, the second birth, is 
now. How, you may ask? How can we be born again? How is this possible? Verse 13 says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The first reason, or one of the first reasons this is made possible, Jesus has that kind of authority as the Son of Man. In this text, he refers all the way back to Daniel. So go with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a prophecy occurring 500 years about before Jesus came on earth. The clouds with the Son of Man, this imagery of the Son of Man in the Old Testament. Clouds always represented deity. Jesus, he's claiming deity. We can be born again because he has that kind of authority. That kind of authority that says, here's my spirit, be born again. Have new life. He has authority. Verses 14 through 15. In John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in, his, in Him may have eternal life. Now here Jesus is referring all the way back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. We're going to go there to remind ourselves. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The text says, For Mount Or they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Talking about the food that God gave them. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. If a serpent should bite anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Why the bronze serpent? There's some historical context we could go into, but I'm not going to go there right now. Why the bronze serpent? Remember what they were afflicted with? Serpents? The bronze serpent is a reminder of their sin and their affliction. To be healed, they had to look to the serpent in faith, not faith in the serpent itself, but faith in God because that's what God told them to do. So it's faith in God. They look and they are healed. And so like the serpent that was lifted up, Christ is going to be, or was, lifted up on what? The cross. What does the cross remind us of? The punishment we ought to face for our sin. And if we look up to him, we may be healed. We may be saved. So how are we able to be born again? 
Because Jesus has that kind of authority and because Jesus sacrificed himself and if we just look to him in faith, we may be born again. But understand one thing. This is not our doing. It's even deeper than this why we may be born again as we continue on in John chapter 3. God's love. Look at verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. I debated to touch on this whether or not I should, but I'm going to anyway. Um, That word there for world, when we read that, we might just think of uh, people on earth. But that Greek word there, translated as world, is cosmos. What does cosmos remind us of? Creation. Yes, Jesus most certainly died primarily for us, for us, but no, this has been about redemption for whole creation, God's whole creation. God so loved his creation that he sent his only son. Yes, primarily for us because we're made in his image, but this has been about the whole creation. Now, that was just a side note. Uh, I, I couldn't resist it. It was just too interesting for me not to cover. Um, but without him, without Jesus, as the text says, there, there, there's just condemnation. Right? Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Without him, there is condemnation. Now, some people think that Jesus condemns them. No, he doesn't. He is, in fact, the only reason you can have a hope for something other than condemnation. Without him, that's it. You're condemned. He gave us something that we could not give ourselves. With him, we may be born again instead of being condemned. Now, Do you want to see evidence of being born again or not? Verses 19 through 21 shows us the evidence. And this is the judgment or distinction. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That word there for judgment can mean distinction, meaning there is a distinction between two groups. First, those who are in darkness, as the text says, those who do wicked things. Now, some clarification in verse 20. The word translated as does is a participle, okay? Now, participle, just think of words ending in I-N-G, right? So this word here, does, can be translated as doing or practicing. So those in darkness are those who practice Wicked things. See, there's a difference between somebody who, who slips up in, out of weakness and then somebody who has intent to just practice wicked things. On the other hand, whoever does what is true comes to or is in the light. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Let's pause here for a bit. Practice what is true. Now, that can also be translated as Practice faithfulness. That word there for true is the same word for 
faithfulness. This is how you can be born again. You practice faithfulness. Um, Jesus, he cleanses us. He gives us the Spirit, and then we are able to practice faithfulness. Faithfulness to who? To God. Now, there's a good reason that the word good is not used here. It's not those who practice good. It's those who practice faithfulness. Because one can do good, but not be faithful to God. Let's get this straight, because there are some people who have an issue with this. There are some people who, who come to Christ, and they believe in Christ, and they ask, well, what about the, the people I know? Who, they're, they're pretty good people. They do good, but they don't believe in God. So is God just going to cast them away? Are they not a part of this kingdom? It's not about doing good. Because when we make it about doing good, then it's about salvation by works. Not salvation by grace. It's never been about whoever does the most good. Because quite frankly, none of us, not a single person in here by themselves is good. Yes, people might do good, but that doesn't make them good because there is only one who is good. It's a good reason this text says practices faithfulness because some can do good, but not be faithful. You've got to remember there's only one way truth life. That's Jesus. It doesn't matter how much good one does in life. What matters is being born again so that we may be faithful. Let's take a look at verse 21 again. I want to get something very clear. Verse 21. Whoever does what is true or practices faithfulness comes to the light so they may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in or by God. I know I've said a lot in this sermon, but let me make one thing abundantly clear. Being born again is not a do-it-yourself. That phrase there, at the very end, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in or by God. These works, these good works that come out of faithfulness, they're not because of your own power. They've been carried out in, they've been carried out by God. So you cannot be born again without God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You cannot have eternal life, you cannot have uh, spiritual life, you cannot be born again. All those phrases are essentially synonymous. You cannot have that without Him. You cannot bring that about on your own. Salvation has never been primarily about what we do. Salvation has always been about what God has done and what God is still doing. By His grace, we may be born again. It's by His grace that the very process of being born again, it's by His grace. So if you want to know how to be born again, understand it doesn't happen without him. May come as we stand and sing.